We need to understand the Mars servant before we can enjoy a Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas, friends and family. My name is Luke. Um, my wife Anita and I are members at this church. Uh, as we see some visitor and friend with us, celebrating Christmas with us. Um, on behalf of all the members, we do want to welcome you and say we're glad that you, choose, you chose to worship God with us today. Uh, but do you know, do you know the word Christmas was only first used in the 12th century, meaning Christ Mass. So Christ meaning the anointed one and Mass meaning a worship service. So Christmas technically means worship service for Christ. Well, most of us probably know Christmas for Christians is celebrating Jesus' birth. But I want to ask all of us, do we know why we wish each other Merry Christmas? during this Christmas season each year. Merry Christmas. And it sounds so familiar, yet if you really think about it, it is also quite unique, right? I mean, we don't wish each other Merry New Year or Merry Birthday. I suppose if you're from that eccentric country called England, you still wish one another Happy Christmas. Maybe, I don't know, that's why I heard that they do there. Well, actually, thinking about it more, for the majority of the world, I would argue that people wish one another Happy Christmas. I say this because two, the top two languages with the most native speakers are Chinese and Spanish. And both lang in both of these languages, it is translated to Happy Christmas. In Chinese, it is Shendanguayle, right? Very good. And in Spanish, it is Feliz Navidad, good. And both translating to Happy Christmas. So well, in the end, I think Merry or Happy is just a choice of words. The word Merry is more of a behavioral descriptor, the act of merrymaking, for example. And the word Happy is more of a, an emotional condition, you know, the state of being happy. You know, either way, we're trying to wish upon another joy in Christmas. But why? Have you ever known why during this Christmas season we should remember joy or have joy? You know, Christmas is a holiday to remember and celebrate the birth of Christ. Why should the birth of Christ give us joy? Well, one of my favorite uh, Christmas movie is A Charlie Brown's Christmas. Uh, this is a cartoon movie um, where the main character, Charlie Brown, is famously quoted, I just don't understand Christmas. I guess I like getting presents and sending Christmas cards and decorating trees and all that, but I'm still not happy. You know, last, let me ask, how many of us can identify with that? Not really feeling happy at times. You know, we put on Christmas music, we enjoy malls and markets with light and warm drinks, but somehow those things are just temporary and we can still end up 
not happy. I think Lucy from the Charlie Brown movie captures what our society and world think that Christmas is about. You know, Lucy's quote is saying, I mean, jingle bells, you know, Santa Claus and ho, 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 and mistletoe and presents to the pretty girls. Is this what you think about when you think about Christmas? Presents and Santa Claus and maybe just another shopping holiday? Well, our friend Charlie Brown in the movie did ask a very serious question. He asked, isn't there anyone who knows what Christmas is all about? That's a good question. Do you, do we know Christmas is all about? Now, why do we say Merry Christmas or Happy Christmas in whatever our mother tongue is? Well, fortunately, we have the Bible that recorded for us to tell us what Christmas is all about. You know, today I want to take us through a not typical Christmas passage to show us how it, along with the entire Bible, is telling us what Christmas is all about. If you have your Bible, please turn to Isaiah chapter 52. If you have been worshiping with us this past year, you have some background on the book of Isaiah. For those of you visiting, let me give you a little background and context on this Old Testament book attributed to the prophet Isaiah. A prophet in the Bible is someone who delivers messages from God. The message of the book of Isaiah is that God will bring judgment, but God also promises salvation to his people. God will bring judgment because people created by him is in rebellion, not acknowledging him and wanting our own ways. Last time I preached, I I mentioned that history had revealed that Jesus is the way that God has brought about salvation for his people. That Jesus is the Christ, the anointed one, the Messiah, the people from all times, from before the birth of Jesus to after the birth of Jesus, that pe all people must look for salvation, to be saved from the judgment that we all are facing, whether we know it or not. You know, this is one of the reasons why birth of Jesus or Christmas is so important. But still, why Merry Christmas? If you have a copy of the Bible, please turn to Isaiah chapter 52, starting in verse 13. It is also printed for us in the bulletin, so you can turn there and follow along as I read for us. Isaiah 52, starting in verse 13. Behold, my servant shall act wisely. He shall be high and lifted up, and shall be exalted. As many were astonished at you, his appearance was so marred beyond human semblance, and his form beyond that of the children of mankind. So shall he sprinkle many nations. Kings shall shut their mouth because of him. For that which has not been told them, they see. And that which they have not heard, they understand. Who has believed what he has heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant, and like a root out of dry ground, and had no form or majesty that we should look at him, and no beauty we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by man, a man of sorrow and acquainted, acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteem him not. 
Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteem him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his stripes, we are healed. All we like sheep had gone astray. We had turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted. Yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter. And like a sheep that before is shared is silent. So he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. As for his generation, who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people. And they made his grave with the wicked and with the rich man in his death. Although he had done no violence, and there was no deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. When his souls make an offering for guilt, he shall see his offering, he shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Out of the anguish of the soul, he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore I will divide him a portion with the many, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his death, because he poured out his soul to death, and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he bore the sin of many, and made intercession for the transgressors. This is the word of God. I believe our pastor today is telling us that we need to understand the Mars servant before we can enjoy a Merry Christmas. We need to understand the Mars servant before we can enjoy a Merry Christmas. I do want you all to enjoy a Merry Christmas tomorrow. So it is important for us to understand the Mars servant that is talking about in our passage. So to help us understand, I want to help us answer four questions. Kids here and maybe adults that could use some motivation, I encourage you to write down these four questions. You can use your bulletin and listen for the answers and write those answers down. If you come find me after service with your answers, I will give you a Christmas tree. Deal? So the four questions are, the first question, who is this servant? First question, who is this servant? And the second question, why? Why was the servant stricken? Why was the servant stricken? The third question, how can the servant bore the sin of many? How can the servant bore the sins of many? And the fourth question, how can we be accounted righteous? How can we be accounted righteous? If you didn't get all that, don't worry. As we go through it, you have another chance. So our first question, who, who is this servant? This portion of the scripture in Isaiah is the last of four what scholars call, quote-unquote, servant songs in Isaiah. If you want, you can also write down some of these references in the Bible, and you can read about it later. The first song of these four is back in Isaiah chapter 42, chapter 42, verse 1 to 9, which Isaiah wrote about God's chosen servant, God's chosen servant. 
The second song is in chapter 49, chapter 49, 1 through 13, talking about God's glorified servant, glorified servant. And the third song is in chapter 50, from verse 1 to 11, which talks about the rejected servant. So he talks about him as a rejected servant in chapter 50. And the fourth and the last song is what we read today, describing the, the suffering servant, the suffering servant. If we look back at chapter 52, starting in verse 13, it is God who is saying, my servant, my servant shall act wisely. Now, there are many descriptions in this passage about this suffering servant. It says he was marred, if you look to the beginning there in verse 14. Then later in verse 3, it says he was despised and rejected by man. Verse 4, he was stricken smitten and afflicted by God. Verse 5, pierced and crushed. Verse 7, oppressed. So who is this suffering servant that Isaiah is describing? Well, it is maybe not surprising that the answer is Jesus. But we can actually look to other parts of the Bible to confirm this. So I'm going to take us to three places in the New Testament. First, in John's Gospel, writing about Jesus. John quoted a portion of our text today. You know, actually quoted Isaiah 53, verse 1. So in John chapter 2, verse 38, let me read that section for you, starting actually in verse 37 of John 12. He wrote, Through Jesus, though Jesus had done so many signs before them, they still did not believe him, so that the word spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. And here's a quote. Lord who, has Lord, who has believed what he heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Again, that's a quoting of Isaiah 53.1. And later in that passage, John says in verse 41, Isaiah said these things because he saw Jesus' glory and spoke of him. So John's interpretation of the Old Testament is that Jesus is the fulfillment of the servant that Isaiah spoke about. So a second place we can look in the New Testament is actually our scripture passage that was read for us earlier from Acts. You know, this Ethiopian eunuch was reading from our passage today. You know, he was reading actually Isaiah 53, 7 to 8. And maybe like some of us, you know, couldn't understand it. So God used Philip to explain and share the gospel with the eunuch. So let me read again from Acts chapter 8, this time starting at verse 32. Now the passage of scripture that the eunuch was reading was this. Like a sheep, he was led to slaughter, and like a lamb before his share is silent, so he opened not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. And the eunuch said to Philip, About whom, I ask you, does the prophet said this, about himself or about someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth and Beginning with the scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. So again, very clearly, Philip says this servant that was led to slaughter like a sheep is talking about Jesus. One last place I want to take us to is in Luke chapter 22, verse 37. This is where Jesus himself, um, in this verse, quoted Isaiah um, verse 12 saying is written about him. 
So let me read for you. Luke chapter 22, verse 37. For I tell you that this scripture must be fulfilled in me. And he quoted, And he was numbered with the transgressors. Unquote. For what is written about me has his fulfillment. So this servant that Isaiah prophesied has its fulfillment in Jesus. So who is this servant? Mar's servant, despised, rejected, afflicted, pierced, crushed, oppressed, smitten, stricken servant. The servant is Jesus, the Christ, the anointed one. Now on to our second question. Why? Why was the servant stricken? Now that we know the servant is talking about Jesus, why did Jesus have to suffer and be stricken? If you look back in verse 14, it says his appearance so marred beyond human semblance. And 53 verse 2 says, He had no form of majesty that we should look at him, no beauty that we should desire him. And continuing verse 3, he was a man of sorrow and acquainted with grief. Now this is all describing Jesus suffering and also dying on the cross. When we read again down to verse 7 there, he was oppressed, he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. And this, is, this was what happened you know, before Jesus was crucified. You, know, you can write down these passages again, you know, read about them later. Matthew chapter 27 and Mark chapter 15. So Matthew 27 and Mark 15. To the great surprise of Pilate, you know, Pilate is the governor of Judea at the time that, um, that Jesus was handed over to, when he was handed over to the authority. You know, although Jesus was respectful to Pilate, you know, who was in, in authority, you know, he gave no answer to his accusers. Instead, he kept quiet. You know, when we look back at our passage, Verse 8 and 9 is plain in saying that Jesus will not only suffer, but that he will die. He was cut off out of the land of the living and beat in a grave in his death. Why? Why was Jesus the servant stricken this way? Well, we, we, all of us, are the reason that Jesus was stricken. Verse 4, Jesus, was, Jesus has borne our grief and carried our sorrows. Verse 5, Jesus, the servant, was pierced for our transgressions, and he was crushed for our iniquities. You know, some of us here, you know, we might ask, what have we done that is so bad that required Jesus to suffer this way? Well, what we have done that is so terrible is called sin in the Bible. Sin is at its core rebellion against God. It includes failure to do what is right according to God's standard. It includes violence toward other people and lovelessness toward God. Sin results in us acting like we are the center and that it revolves around what we want and need instead of what God wants and what others need. Sin results in acting like we are the center and that it revolves on what we want and need instead of what God wants 
and others need. When we fail to tell the truth, we sin. When we grumble instead of being thankful, we sin. When we lust and envy, we sin. When we believe Satan that our lives are meaningless and we are worthless, we sin. When we go our own ways, not acknowledging that God is our creator, we sin. Verse 6 in our passage says it like this, All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. We all sin, going our own ways, rebelling against God. And so, the consequence is the second part of verse 6. The Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all. God laid on Jesus the punishment that we all should have deserved. Now the next logical question is, why? Now why does Jesus have to be stricken for us? If we are guilty of these kind of punishments, why don't we just bear them ourselves? Imagine this. A little boy was playing on his parents' iPad at a fancy hotel. When his parents told him that he should stop because they needed to go, he got angry and threw the iPad across the waiting area. He didn't break the iPad because iPads are very well made. But he did knock over this delicate looking handmade crystal on display and completely shattered it. A stunned hotel staff comes over and tells the family that the crystal cost $10,000. Let me ask you, would this little boy be able to bear the just punishment for his wrong? Maybe he takes out the $10 from his pocket that he had just gotten this morning, that morning from his dad and tells the hotel staff, let me pay you back with my $10. Do you think paying back $10 for breaking a $10,000 crystal is fair? I know this is not a perfect illustration, but the point is the cost to make right the wrong is extremely great, way beyond what the little boy can afford and maybe comprehend. Similarly, we cannot pay back the cost for our sins because the punishment for sin is death and eternal separation from God in a state that the Bible calls hell. Because our sins are so brutal and horrific, and especially if we're, we're, we're honest and acknowledge not only our outward sinful action, but also hidden actions, actions that others don't see, and also our sinful thoughts and intentions, you know, all of which, even if no one else knows about it, God knows and God sees. You know, what have we done if I share with everyone right here, right now, out loud, in front of everyone, we would be ashamed. I hope we do feel uncomfortable thinking about that because our sins are so brutal and horrific. They require a great payment for atonement. Our sins are brutal and horrific. They require a great payment for atonement. Jesus, Jesus the Mars servant, took on that payment for all of us. So why was the servant stricken? The servant Jesus was stricken for us for our transgressions, 
against God. To summarize this answer to our first two questions, you know, the first truth we learn today is this. Jesus, the Mars servant, was stricken for our transgressions. Jesus, the Mars servant, was stricken for our transgressions. There are two more questions to answer, but hopefully they should be a little bit faster, so let's keep going. If you look at the end of verse 12, toward the end of our passage today, it says, he bore the sin of many. So how can the servant bore the sin of many? This is our third question. If we cannot bear even our own sins, what makes Jesus able to bear the sins of many? To answer this, let's look back at verse 11. It says, Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall his, the right, by, by, by his knowledge shall his righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. Did you catch what God called his servant? He called him the righteous one. You see, Jesus is able to bore the sin of many because Jesus is fully righteous. Fully righteous meaning that he had no sin and has never sinned. Verse 9 says, He had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth. Jesus is able to suffer the full punishment of sin and even suffer death, yet raised back to life, resurrected to see and be satisfied as the verse alludes to, this is because he is fully righteous and death cannot hold him. You know, let's say you broke the law and could not pay the fine for breaking that law. The police might put you in jail, but then you have a friend that comes and pays the fine for you so that you can be released from jail. You know, should the friend be expected to be kept in jail? No. You know, the friend has done nothing wrong, so of course not. You know, similarly, death could not keep hold of Jesus because he was righteous. Jesus never sinned. When he suffered and died for all his people, and according to verse 10, to finish the will of God, he shall see his offspring and prolong his day and prosper in bringing many to be accounted righteous. You know, how can he see his offspring if he dies? Well, it must mean that he has to come back to life again to see. So here again, we see in the Old Testament, prophesizing the resurrection of the suffering servant, which we now know is Jesus. So how can Jesus bore the sin of many? The answer is, he was fully righteous. Now the last question. If Jesus bore the sin of many to make many to be accounted righteous, how can we be accounted righteous? Is it automatic? Now this is actually the same question that the first believers in Acts asked when they were told that Jesus bore the sin of many through his crucifixion. Now listen as I read for us from Acts chapter 2, 36 to 39. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. 
Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? You know, this was essentially the believers at the time asking, how can we be accounted righteous? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God, whom the Lord our God calls to himself. So how can we be accounted righteous? Repent and believe in Jesus Christ. Repent of our sins in rebellion against God and believe in the work of Jesus whom Isaiah the prophet was writing about. You know, this is why the book of Isaiah in the Bible is sometimes called the fifth gospel. The fifth gospel asks after the gospel of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, or sometimes they call it Isaiah's gospel. No, because this is Isaiah's message of the good news. You know, good news from God that there is a Savior coming, and all these prophecies are fulfilled later on in Jesus. So if we look back in verse 5 of our passage today, it reads, Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. Now this peace is not talking about world peace, and the healing is not talking about healing from our physical sicknesses. The peace is talking about our peace with God and healing from the brokenness of our souls. So how can we be accounted righteous? How can we have peace with God and be healed from our brokenness? The answer is repent and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. So let me summarize this last two questions as a second truth for us today. Our second truth for today is this. Jesus, the righteous servant, makes many to be accounted righteous. Jesus, the righteous servant, makes many to be accounted righteous. So earlier I said we need to understand the Mars servant before we can have or we can enjoy a Merry Christmas. But we have answered these four questions to understand this Mars servant. The first question, who is this servant? Who is the servant? And the answer was, the Mars servant is Jesus. The Mars servant is Jesus. The second question, why was the servant stricken? Why was the servant stricken? And the answer is, the Mars servant was stricken for our transgressions. The servant was stricken for our transgression. And the third question, how can the servant bore the sins of many? Well, the servant can bore the sins of many because he was fully righteous. Because he was fully righteous. And the fourth question, how can we be accounted righteous? How can we be accounted righteous? We can be accounted righteous when we repent and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. When we repent and believe in Jesus. So we now understand that Jesus is the Mars servant, stricken for our sins, paying the penalty that should have been ours, and resurrecting back to life. Now, this is the reason Christians celebrate Easter. 
the resurrection of Jesus when he finished that work. But why? Why do we also celebrate Christmas? Isaiah 9, 6 tells us, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given. You see, Jesus is God, but he humbled himself to be born as a child for the purpose of being this Mars servant. He humbled himself to be born as a child for the purpose of being the Mars servant. Now this, this, this is a mysterious will of God. Luke chapter 2, a very familiar passage for Christmas says this, In the same regions, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flocks by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. If Jesus was not born to fulfill the work of the suffering servant, we will have no hope. We can only expect to be stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted, pierced for our own transgressions, and crushed for our own iniquities. So why? Why can we have a Merry Christmas? We can have a Merry Christmas because Jesus is the Christ in Christmas. We can celebrate and be merrymaking because there is hope for our salvation. God has made a way through the birth of Jesus. We have come to the end of today's message. I would like to end with Romans 6.23. The Apostle Paul tells us, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Jesus is the ultimate Christmas gift from God. It is the greatest gift we can receive. It has to be made free from God. For those, maybe this is the first time you have truly understood Christmas, will you receive this gift with a merry heart? It is free to you, but you must repent and believe in Jesus. Now please come talk to me or, or talk to someone else here, if that is you. For Christians here, will you continue to hold on and treasure this gift with a merry heart? Even when life is hard. I read an article this week about Palestinian Christians. I'm sure I don't need to explain the hardship Palestinians are going through right now because of the war between Israel and Hamas. The article argued that the real story of Christmas was a story of pure hardship. Imagine a pregnant Mary and an anxious Joseph getting to Bethlehem with no place to stay. If you can't imagine, just ask one of the mothers here how they would feel if they are ready to deliver, not knowing where they are going. Mary, just hours from giving birth, ends up close to animals, and just imagine the smell and the ickiness. And in the midst of all that, Jesus was born. 
and they were filled with joy. But not long after, there would be a massacre of all the baby boys under the age of two in Bethlehem and in the surrounding region. God tipped Joseph off in a dream, so he takes Mary and Jesus and escapes to Egypt. I mean, can you imagine with just a day's notice, notice fleeing to another country to save your child? The article concluded, the Christmas story is a story of hardship. But God didn't leave Mary and Joseph, and Mary and Joseph didn't leave God. So Christians, hold on to Jesus through prayer, through meeting with other Christians, through the promises in the Bible. Jesus is the one treasure we cannot afford to let go. Do we remember why we celebrate Christmas? Well, despite the evils of the world, the wickedness of our hearts, because of Jesus, we can have hope and therefore joy. So finally, Jesus, the Mars servant, is the reason I can wish you all a merry, merry Christmas. Would you please pray with me? Father God, we praise you for your righteous servant, Jesus. Not only is he your righteous servant, he is your son. Your son willingly humbled himself to be born as a child into human history. We thank you that Jesus was pierced and crushed for us to provide a way of salvation. Holy Spirit, we ask you to help us to believe and to continue to treasure Jesus for the peace he has given us and to believe that we are healed from our broken souls. And lastly, Jesus, we say happy birthday. It is in your name we pray. Amen.